Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Dear Father, we come before you this morning in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, and our Redeemer. For in Him we live and move and have our very being, for we are His offspring. How gracious and wondrous is your love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us, that we may be called the children of God. We recognize and understand this morning that we are not deserving of such mercy, yet it pleased the triune God to do so. This wonderful gift is available to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, for your word declares that those who do will be saved. And this morning we hold dearly to the promise that's found in your word, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Your word also promises us that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's in that hope that we stand safe and secure. It's in that hope we lift our voices and our hearts in worship through songs and prayers and the reading of your word. We would ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment that awaits those who reject your word. Give us hearts of compassion and commitment to the purposes that you've created and saved us. For your word tells us that we are your workmanship, created in your Son for good works, which you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And again, your word commands us that whatever we do, we're to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that it's from the Lord that we will receive our inheritance as a reward, for we are serving the Lord Christ, the living God. We wait until that day, that final day, when Jesus will sanctify his church, having cleansed us by the washing of water with his word, so that he might present us to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that your church, your bride, may be holy and without blemish. But yet in this day, as we still struggle against the presence of sin, until that final day, will you help us to put on then, as your chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. May our lives be marked with bearing with one another. And if we have a complaint, that we would forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And Lord, may we put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And Father, I pray that in your church here this morning, that the peace of Christ may rule in our hearts, to which we were called together as one body. And may we be thankful, and may the word of Christ dwell in us, richly teaching and admonishing us in all the wisdom, that we may sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Christ. And God's people said, Amen. 
Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to be taking a couple weeks detour from our regular study in Mark as we're making a steady progress. And we're going to talk about a compelling command that's found in 2 Corinthians. So you may want to take your Bibles and turn to their 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Today, we're emphasizing the need and the call for missions, not only for the local body, the visible expression of God's church, but also for individual believers. Jesus, in his last moments on earth, commanded the disciples to share the good news of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, we find as Jesus is getting ready to return to the Father in his ascension, it says, when they have come together, speaking of the disciples, the disciples asked him, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus answered them, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, I have something else for you to be concerned with until that time. He tells us in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And so for you and I, our concern on earth is to be the witnesses of God. It's interesting, but the word witness is also that word for martyrs. That's where we come from. In that, the witnesses, the witnesses, and we're called to be witnesses. I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have thought this. But again, John Piper beat me to the punch by about 20 years. He wrote this. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Why is it that churches have mission programs? Why is it that we need to send Brian out to Italy, of all places, or to Sudan, or to any other place? Why is it? that William Carey began missions programs. Jonathan Edwards, before that, to the frontier Indians of that time, and, and so on and so forth. Why is it? Missions exist because worship doesn't. And this is something for us to understand. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. And we said before, as we look at all the different purposes and different things that we can do in heaven, one of the things that will not be happening in the new heaven and earth is evangelism. There will be no more missions. The thing that you and I are afraid and, and fearful to do many times of sharing the good news, of sharing our testimony, will not need to be done. We saw that on, as we looked at here in our scripture reading earlier that Randy read. John the Apostle, getting a vision, a glimpse of heaven, writes of this host of heaven when he says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people of God, or for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth until that day mission exists. The need to share the word of God exists. Our job is not done. And let me tell you, when will missions be done? As we're called up to heaven. As he comes and returns. Only then will missions be done. Until then, you and I's only concern in this life, well, not our only concern, but one of our compelling concerns, our compelling command is to be in the business of missions so that worship may happen. In our passage today, Paul gives the Corinthian church the big picture of redemption history. As God is doing a wonderful, mighty work in reconciling the world 
to himself. And you and I are called to join him in that. And what I like about the way that's phrased in the fact that God is in the work of doing that. It's not our job. I tell you what, if the job of missions and evangelizing, sharing the good news, or winning a soul for Christ, if that was placed solely on my shoulders, if it was based on my ability to reason for the defense, or my ability to persuade someone, or to convince them that God is good, I would be most pitied. Because I would never be able to sleep. How could I ever stand before a holy God saying that I have done enough? God is doing a work and he is reconciling the world. And what we're going to see is Paul's going to share is he's going to share our part in doing that. God is so kind and wonderful to include us in that wonderful work. John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, says this, the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And I say that still today. His eyes go to and fro. Who will worship me? Who will bow the knee? Who will bow the heart to me? For God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see, it's important for us as believers. It's important for us as the local church to understand these three things. God created the world in order to display His glory. We talk about the song, Oh, How He Loves Us, but He didn't create us just so He could love us or just so we can see or make Him worthy. He is worthy. He created us that we may glorify Him. The Westminster Confession says it well. The chief end of man is to glorify God and what? To enjoy Him forever. And that's what God has called us to do. See, He's not just calling for missionaries and teachers and elders. He's not just calling for the. He's calling for worshipers. Will you worship me? He created the world in order to display His glory. However, the world has been deceived and lied to. And in Romans, we find that. And I won't take the time. We've been through it for years. We see that the world is without excuse, for they have denied him the very worship that is due him. Not only that, is they've turned their eyes and they've worshipped other things. And you and I stand guilty under that condemnation, or at least one time we did. The third thing to understand is that God now is in the process of reclaiming the world. There will be a new creation. There will be a time when all people will, t- will not bow their knee and every tongue, and Philippians tells us, will confess that Jesus is Lord. To accomplish this, to get to this revelation, this vision, to accomplish this fact that we will bow and worship before Him, God has commanded that all believers, until He comes, are to be on mission. So in other words, mission is not just for missionaries. It's not just for evangelists. It's not just for super people who know how to share the gospel or apologists. You and I are to be on mission. And I'm indebted to Mike Fraser, who was the vice president of BBFI Missions. It's a mission board, Baptist Bible Fellowship. Uh, He said this so well, I didn't feel like I needed to recreate it. So I'm just going to share what he had to say. And you'll see it here on the screen if you're taking notes. He says missions is important. He gives us three reasons. Missions is important, number one, because of the cross of Christ. 
He says, if we were to choose only one symbol to represent Christianity over the centuries, what would we choose? We would choose that of the cross. It's always been at the very center of our faith. At the cross, God demonstrated his love for all humanity and provided a way for all to experience the forgiveness of sin. But interesting to the world, the cross is either a stumbling block or foolishness. But still, it's that cross that he points to. The Apostle John reminds us that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word that just means that God has been satisfied. His wrath, His anger has been satisfied for our sins. Not only ours, but for the rest of the world as well. For those that He's called, or those He has chosen, for those that He's sending out to. Christ died for the sins of the world. It's logical that we should be deeply concerned about reaching every individual with the cross. So mission is important because of the cross of Christ. For you and I, that needs to be our standard. That needs to be the banner that we hold. Unfortunately for us today, many times our standard, our bearer has been Levi's, movies, Hollywood, our music, all these types of things. We have been very good as Americans making other countries American. But we haven't always done a very good job of sharing with them Christ. Number two, missions is important, not only because of the cross of Christ, but because it's the command of Christ. In all four Gospels, and even here in the book of Acts, so five times, he gives us the Great Commission in some type of way. It's never presented as an option but it, to be considered, but it's always as a mandate to be obeyed and followed. For nearly 2,000 years, the marching orders of the church have been, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The phrase all the world means that when it comes to our proclamation of the gospel, everyone is to be included and no one is to be ex excluded. And incurred, that means the refugees that have come out of Syria. Yes, we're scared. Yes, we're frightened about all the political things. And I don't want to get into that, but we need to see the fact that so many times, even in our own mindset, we don't see people as people who need to be worshipers of God, but we see them as people who may do us harm. And yes, there are some practical concerns for that. So I don't want to diminish that in any way. But let me say, what do you see when you see people? Let me give you an example. Again, not to be political. Unfortunately, it seems like everything. And I understand this bathroom discrimination and all this other things that everyone's making is, not, is, is a big deal. He ask you, when you see a man transgendered into a woman, do you see someone that needs Christ and needs to become a worshiper of a Christ? Or do you just see someone who's a pervert, someone who needs to be demolished and prevented at all cost? That's not to say that we shouldn't be diligent and that we should be politically involved in some things that are of concern. But I'm talking about people, not our actions and not the things that might be consequent. But I'm saying people. How do we see people? We have a command of Christ to share the gospel even with the, them. And I have to tell you, you've heard it here, for those of you who've been here any time, I'm praying that our churches, that our church will have transgender people come through the door. That we have come people that are, have same-sex attraction. And you say, wait a second, what about my children? What, what about this? What about that? Okay, I understand that. But the only reason we want here is not to compromise the gospel, but to share with them that there's something greater that they can worship 
than their body or their ideal of what their perfected self should be. And the gospel, let me tell you, is the only answer to someone who is ready to take a knife to their body. Amen? And so we need to see that it's the command of Christ. Okay, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a rabbit trail. Let me bring it back. It means to our proclamation we cannot exclude anyone. As one theologian said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. It starts, yes, within our families. It starts within our friends and our neighborhoods and then our communities and then our cities and so on and so forth. But we must not be so wholly huddled that we do not forget that that need is there. The only thing preventing, how many are ready for Christ to come back? I mean, I, I am. Now I, now I say that, I'm not quite sure how, how, how true that is in my own heart, but, it, but there's a part of me that says, yes, come back. Well, the only thing that's preventing him is the last soul that needs to come in, the last worshiper that he's come in. I don't know who that person is. But let's find him, let's get him under the, the blood, and let's go. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm tr- I'm tired of struggling in this, in this flesh, in this presence of sin. I'm ready to grab my stuff and go. But not everyone has been brought in. We need to realize that. When God's heart for the world becomes the heart of the church, listen to this, because I believe this. When, when God's heart for the world becomes the heart of the church, then the church will surrender to do whatever needs to be done so that every creature has the opportunity to hear the gospel. I, I've heard it said that missions is the heartbeat of God, and I believe it needs to be the heartbeat of the church. For a church who has no heart for missions is really a heartless church. It's a cold church. It's a church who's going to be dying. It's a church that's lost its first love. I don't want to be that church. So here we are. We're at a church that we feel that we've finally gotten our ducks in a row. We have struggled through some things, but yet we now sense God's strengthening. We sense God's peace upon our church. It's time for us now to follow through and have that heartbeat for the men and women that need to hear the gospel, that need to become worshipers of God. And then thirdly, missions is important because of the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ. In Acts 1, if we were to continue to read that passage I read earlier, we see that Jesus ascends up to heaven, and two angels angels ask disciples, why are you standing there gazing up into heaven? It's as if the angels were saying, don't you have something you need to be doing? Isn't it time to get going? Why are you sitting here? God's given you, Christ has given you command. Get about doing this. Why? Because this same Jesus, which is taken from you, will also come in like manner as you have seen him. And let me tell you, when he returns, that time has ended. We truly are on a cosmic heavenly clock, so to speak. If you and I truly believe in the return of Jesus Christ, World evangelism and evangelism as a whole should become an urgent priority in our churches. It should be. You and I need to see that we're connected. We're a church that not only is a local visible expression, that's to live that out within the context of this church and this community, but our influence needs to spread further, much, much further than it is. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Read with me silently as I read out loud, starting with verse 11. 
Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. In other words, if this is important, then what is it? Let me, I should set this up. If, if missions is important for those three things, what is it that you and I are called to do? What is it that needs to motivate us? What is it that needs to change about our mindset? So this is, Paul gives this answer. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not what about is the heart. Verse 13. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Look at verse 14. This is our key verse. For the love of Christ controls us. If you can underline that, highlight that in your Bible. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's go on, verse 16. From now on, therefore, because Christ, the love of Christ controls us, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, famous verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Go on, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. 20, verse 20. Therefore, once again, because of all that, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's our message. For 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that promise, Father, we stand. I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to see the importance of missions, not only the importance of mission, but what you've called us to as new creatures, as those who have been reconciled, as those who have been worshipers. Father, may you be glorified in what is spoken here. Let us know the difference between your word and my mere opinion. And Father, I pray that you would work 20 to 30 different messages that we may respond to what you call us to. Thank you for your word. May we treasure it and respond accordingly. We pray in Christ's name once again. I want to give you some points from that passage. We went through it quickly. The first point is we see Paul's motivation and task there in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade others. You and I, we have a responsibility. We have a compelling command to persuade others. Why? Well, the ESV writes that the fear of the Lord, there's a phrase that you and I do not like. It does not mean that there's a, that means a fear of final judgment, but it's a, one of common theme that refers either to the fear as godly all or reverence or devotion, or even fear of God's displeasure and fatherly discipline. Theologian David Garland writes that the fear of God refers to a religious consciousness, a reverential awe of God that directs the way that we live in. And I think there's a problem there. I think that's one of the reasons we're not motivated for missions is that we do not have the fear of God. It says the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of what? Wisdom, he tells us many times. 
There are some, though, and I believe that there are some that are professing Christians who do not fear God. And the Bible says those who do not fear God are fools. He says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good, the psalmist tells us. Give you an illustration. Many of you know the parable of the rich fool who in Luke, who had been planting many things and doing his grapes, and he, he had a big crop. And as he looks at it, he says, what will I do with all this good stuff? And he says to my soul, he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. He lived his life as if he didn't have to give account. He didn't think, well, who else could I help? Who else could I serve? Who else might be hungry? But after saying that, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? Many of us have led our lives like this as well. We gather, we gather, we hunt, we get our resources, we plan, but yet we never ask God, how should I use this? In what way should I use my resources? We ourselves have lived our lives as if one day God will never ask us, have you been faithful with what I have given you? We think it's all about us. Many may not say no to God. We might not say, well, I've never said no to Him. But we conduct our lives as if there's no God, there's no judgment, and there's no accountability. And we say that not only to the world, but we say that today of many of those who profess Christ. David Garland observes that Paul's supreme awe of God motivated him to act as he does, and it prevents him vainly from trying to rely on his own meager resources. Nor does Paul use his resources for his own benefits, but as we see, for the benefits of others. So the call is today, as you look at your finances, as you look at your life, as you look at your dreams and aspirations, are they under the fear of the Lord? Or are they just yours to use as you see fit? Now Paul has no fear of condemnation. The fear of the Lord to those who are Christ followers is not one of condemnation. For he considers his life an open book both to God and to the Corinthian church. He is confident, not because of what he's done, but because God judges his heart. Paul is not in ministry for himself. This points to his responsibility and accountability as an ambassador for God. For you and I, the Bible says, are ambassadors. We do not give our account of ourselves, but we represent someone else. Knowing God moves them to persuade others to know God. Let me ask you today, does the fear of the Lord today move you, persuade you, compel you, control you to share the gospel with others? Verse 14, Paul understands his life is no longer his. As we said, that main verse for this passage is the love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we know that Christ has died for us. We've concluded that this is a fact. We assent to these mental facts. We believe it emotionally and we desire to follow it. You and I as Christians, we have abandoned all to follow Him. We've taken up our cross. We denied ourselves. And so we're compelled by His love, controlled by His love, to share the gospel. That word control there means to afflict, to sicken, to hold in custody, to surround, stop, occupy. It's a strong word. 
It's almost like putting a bridle in your mouth and being controlled in that such a way. Or like sick, and you ever been sick to the fact that you want to do something else, but your sickness controls you so much that you have to be in bed and respond in a certain way? This is the love of Christ. Let me ask you, Christian, for those of you who made a statement of faith, does the love of Christ control you in that such a way? Yes, you may have some dreams and aspirations, but yet you're controlled by the love of Christ to follow this road and path. It should. For Paul gives testimony that knowing the mighty power and the wrath of God should lead you and I to be motivated to persuade others not to live for themselves but for God. Our lives are not our own. Scripture tells us in the point number three, he points out that in Christ we're different. He says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. He replaces that old nature with the new nature. What's old has passed away. We now have new dreams and new aspirations, new desires. Ken Broder, a pastor, writes concerning this new creation. He says that involves an inward change or transformation that accompanies repentance and results in devotion and obedience to God. So you and I have a new way of living, a new way of thinking. This inward change is something that God Himself works in our life. New desires, new dreams, new goals. And that's to do what Christ has told us. Don't be concerned about earthly things. Don't be concerned about your place in the kingdom, but be concerned about being my witnesses, my ambassadors. I'm looking for worshipers. For those who do not bow their knee and bow their hearts before me will be judged. And let me tell you, you and I should be moods with gratitude. We should have that love control us, not because it's something that we've done, but in verse 18 and 19, the fourth point, is that new nature is not something that you and I were able to do of ourselves, but it's a gift from God. For he says in verse 18 that God has reconciled us unto himself and he gave us that ministry of reconciliation. So he saves us not only of our sin, but then he says, now go give it to someone else. Share that ministry of reconciliation. We are now involved in the work of God of drawing worshipers to himself. My prayer for us as a church, my prayer for us as individuals, that when that vision of the new heaven and earth comes to reality. And we ourselves are bowing and singing with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation that I will be able to join hand with the brother and sister that I never met but came to Christ because we gave and because we prayed and because we sacrificed that they may know the word of God. Amen? What a sweet time in heaven that's going to be. Hey, you may not know me, there's an old song about that. You may not know me now, but you know that missionary? He came and he brought me the word of God. He gave me God's word in his hand. He sat down and he showed me the way. Thank you. You and I have a part to play in that. It's a gift that was given to us. And it's a gift not to hoard. Christians are the worst hoarders in the world. And the fact that we take the gifts of God and we hide them and we hold them ourselves, whether it's the gift of salvation, our spiritual gifts, or our talents and abilities, should not be so. For God is freely given. He is freely given. What is this reconciliation? 
What does that mean? It's another big word. Well, it's found in verse 21. Look at that. And you need to underline. This verse needs to be highlighted, underlined in your word. I love it. We some, many times we'll sing Jesus Messiah just because of this verse. It's found in verse 21. For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the reconciliation. God put his son, put, forth, put him forth and said, I will pour out your sin on him and I will take his righteousness and give to you. It's called the great exchange. The results of that great exchange, that gift of God, that gift of reconciliation is that the penalty of sin has been paid. No longer are you and I under that penalty. No longer is that judgment against us. It says that that the wrath of God is on all who have sinned. But not only is the penalty of sin paid, but the record of sin of debt is erased. No longer will you and I stand in that. Let me tell you, this is a side note. Many of us are paralyzed in our Christian life. We are paralyzed and at a standstill because of our past sins, our shame and our guilt. Are we not? I know that it paralyzes me at times. Satan dredges all that garbage and that muck up. And he says, remember this. There's no way you can do this. But let me tell you, he says there's no condemnation. That has gone away. It's been nailed to the cross. And there is no accuser. Satan is, he may be accusing the brethren night and day before the Lord, but he has empty bombs that he's throwing. Thirdly, the works of the devil are defeated. And because of this gift, number five, we're to share this gift with others. Because of that, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. See, it is to please the ultimate power of the universe. Not to pick up a skywriting plane. He hasn't picked up some way in which he's going to describe his or, or share the good news. He's doing, making his appeal through us. He says, you're going to work for me. He says, we implore you in verse 20, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. What should be your message to others? You got someone in your family that doesn't know Christ? Do you have someone in your neighborhood that doesn't know Christ? Maybe your favorite waitress or person at the store. Maybe your boss, maybe an employee at work. Your message is simple. Be reconciled with God. See, people think that them and God have got a thing worked out. There's no country song. I've got to figure it out one of these days. I always reference it, but I don't know what it is. Me and God, we we got us an understanding. But you hear what I said? No, we don't. They don't understand the wrath of God. They don't understand the fear of God. We need to tell them, you need to be reconciled. They don't even know that they need to be reconciled. They don't know that God has a problem with them. I don't have a problem with God. Well, he's got a problem with you. And they don't know that. And let me tell you, there's, there are some people, to my discredit, that I worked with as a young person in my early life, there will be some people who will now stand with me I'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and it is joy of your heaven. But there'll be some that will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will be able to look at me and say, you never told me, you never told me I need to be reconciled with God. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that you would have some people in your life too. That even if you were to share that with them, they'd probably laugh. As Lot's friends laughed at him, who are you to tell me about God? 
The message is clear. It's simple. Be reconciled to God. Why do we need to be reconciled? I love Jonathan Edwards. You probably read this. Even in public schools, they all had to read Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Great, uh, probably the most famous message known. Listen to this, what he says. You and I need to realize, and this is truth. It's not biblical truth, but he's talking about biblical principles that are true. Listen to what he says. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Tis a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang, and listen, look at the imagery. Take the imagery. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have no interest in a mediator and nothing to lay a hold of to save your Self, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath. Nothing of your own, nothing that you've ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. Do you get that imagery? Take a piece of thread, how hard it is to put it through the eye of a needle. Now imagine that in a fiery flame, maybe something that just flames around it, just waiting to be singed. One singe and they drop. That's our parents. That's our children. That's people we love and care about. That's the people that we live next to waiting for that. Did you hear that? God is not some passive God who's just waiting for someone to die. God is waiting and putting judgment on them. Our job is a compelling command to share the gospel to those who are ready to be fallen into that pit. He also wrote that there's nothing that keeps the wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. In other words, none of us know when that thread will snap. It's just the pleasure of God. Judgment awaits. Yet God gives us this wonderful gift of salvation. Not that we may hoard it, but that you and I may share willingly and freely. So let me bring you to the end of the message, and please stay with me, for this is important. We must hold this. Once we see why mission is important, why we see Paul says we need to be motivated because we have been saved, we have been changed, we have been given that ministry to others, we need to share it. My question is, why do we not do it? What prevents believers and local churches from being compelled, controlled by Christ, to be uh, ambassadors for Christ. What prevents it? I'm going to give you three of them. Very simple. Why are we not doing our job? Number one, it's a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of Simple lack of knowledge. And the knowledge is this. It's found in Hebrews chapter 9. Just as a point for man to die once and after this comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Why isn't churches in Babel? Many times it's because we have a lack of knowledge. Consider yourself now learned. You have now been informed. 
There is a day of a judgment awaiting all those. Even my little land and coming up on three years old, my little grandson, I look forward to the day that Christ claims as his own. That is my prayer. That is my hope. That is my wish. Why? Because I do not want him to stand before an almighty God. For he stands without excuse until Christ comes and claims him at his own. Let me tell you, you are now informed that the fear of God needs to be in each every heart. That we are surrounded by a world of fools. Not stupid people, not ignorant people, but people who do not know that their life one day, they will stand before an almighty God and have to give an account. We need to share that. We need to allow that to become a motivation. Because let me tell you, if we know that, then we need to be controlled by Christ for ambassadors, to be his ambassadors to share. The second one is a lack of compassion. There are many Christians who know that. I didn't give you a verse that you didn't know. But here's what we don't know. You and I, many times, we have a lack of compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I don't want to offend anyone, but one time I was in a service and I said, there's some of you that you don't give a damn about whether or not people go to heaven and hell. And then I followed up and said that some of you are now more upset and concerned that I said the word damned in church than I, about the fact that there are people that are going to hell. I don't mean to offend any of you, but it, you get the point. What do you look at when you see someone in the road? Is, are they just an interruption in your life? Are they a barrier? Is that, a, that, that fellow employee, is he just someone that's keeping you from getting a better raise, a better job? Is your boss just someone who just wants to put you down? Is your children just someone that's always rebellious? Is your neighbor someone who just has a barking dog? Do I need to say any more? There's something that's preventing you from sharing the gospel. There's something from you from sacrificing, giving more. Could it be a lack of compassion? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I make no accusations. But I see my own heart. Many times my compassion is for my loved ones and for you. Sometimes it's not always for those that don't know Christ. Then thirdly is a lack of commitment. It's a lack of commitment. We may be informed, we have the knowledge, we, you know, we have the compassion, but yet we're just undisciplined. We have a lack of commitment. Let me tell you, there are some that are called to go and serve. Our brother Brian back there, uh, many other missionaries, Don and Doreen Nelson and others that we know, they're called to go and serve. For everyone, he tells us, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you can look at it in Romans 10. We don't have time, 13 through 17. But how will they hear if no one goes? How will they go if no one sends? Faith comes by hearing, by the hearing of the word of God. So there are some who are called to go and serve. So some of you, there may be some of you here that God is calling for a commitment. You need to go and serve. And I pray that God raises up men and women who will go and serve. I pray that there's some of you right here. You still need to tithe here, but I pray that he tells you to go and serve. Now, that was a joke. Hopefully, you got that. Go and serve. But for others, for more of us, our commitment is to stay, to pray, and to give. 
Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer to the Colossian church. He says, be watchful in thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for me that God may open to us a door to the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I make it make clear what I ought to speak. That's what Brian is asking for us. He's saying, hey, I'll go as your substitute. Will you just pray for me? Will you just give and sacrifice so that I go? I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to, to sacrifice for that. Would you just pray that God gives me the words to say? For you and I, we're the rope, that infamous rope that William Carey and Fuller spoke about. Hey, I'll cast you down there. Well, you just hold on to the other side of that rope. Let's do that. There's a commitment. What commitment is God calling you to this morning? But let me tell you, some are called to go and serve. Some are called to stay, to pray and give. But both require sacrifice. If you get anything out of the message, get this. Both of us are required to sacrifice. Missions are important to God and therefore it needs to be important to every church and every believer. Greg Steyer from Dare to Share writes that there are three brands of duct tape that keeps Christians quiet about Jesus. These types of tape seek to seal our mouths and shut about the good news of Jesus. What is that duct tape? The uh, I'm not sure duct tape, the tape of fear and the tape of apathy. Well, I would say this tape of lack of knowledge, lack of compassion, lack of commitment prevents churches and believers from fulfilling the compelling command. The love of Christ controls us to share that message. Be reconciled with God. Well, let me tell you, you do not have the luxury of being silent. Those that do not know Christ, that are hanging by a thread in a burning stove, do not have the luxury of your silence and your lack of sacrifice. So my question for you this morning as we close is what is your next step? What is the Holy Spirit calling you to do? Is He calling you to go? Is He calling you to give? Is he calling you to pray? Is he calling you to get involved? Would you take a moment with your head bowed? Would you pause? Would you consider? Would you pray? And would you respond to what God has called you to do this morning in being controlled by Christ's love? Father, I don't know what you've called each and every one of us to do, but I pray that you would call us to a commitment. To those that know Christ, Lord, may we go. May we serve, may we give, may we pray, may we take that next step. Whatever it may be, grab our hearts this morning and begin to confirm in it. Not that we're ready to make that decision, but begin working in our hearts. See that wonderful gift that you have. Father, are we fools or are we wise? Do we understand you? Give us wisdom. That's your promise. If we ask, you'll give it. Help us to know as believers and as a local church, what have you called us to when it comes to missions. Let us be faithful ambassadors, Lord, faithful witnesses to your gospel. Would you continue to bring in the multitude, the myriad numbers of worshipers that you're calling forth. And thank you for allowing us to be part of that wonderful, wonderful ministry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.